From the Wilkes Center for Climate Science and Policy at the University of Utah, I'm Ross Chambliss, and we're talking climate. For our first episode of this podcast, we're talking with Dr. Kevin Perry, an atmospheric scientist at the U. Dr. Perry has been studying air quality for over 20 years. He's studied smoke from pyrotechnic firework displays, and more recently, he's been studying dust blowing off the Great Salt Lake. Perry has deployed equipment to monitor ambient air from the ground, from ships, from the sky, and from high-altitude mountain observatories around the world. Professor Perry recently explored 800 square miles of Great Salt Lake-exposed lake bed over two years on his bicycle. And this added to his previous work of trying to understand how mercury is transported in the air and how bad air quality can impact birth outcomes. Professor Perry served as chair of the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at the U, and he currently teaches atmospheric science courses on air quality, health, and society. And we're excited to have Professor Perry here to talk with. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, this is Great Salt Lake and dust concerns is an issue that you've been paying attention to um, with respect to uh, changing climate and impacts, uh, health impacts for probably a lot longer than most people. So like maybe can you back up and say like one, how did you, what kind of drove you to start paying attention to this and want to research it? Yeah, so I've been studying dust in the atmosphere for almost 30 years. Um, I used to work for the National Park Service a long time ago, and we were seeing dust coming into the eastern part of the United States during the summer, and we had no idea where it was coming from. And so we did chemical measurements, and we were able to trace it back to dust that was coming off the African continent and moving all the way across the Atlantic and into the eastern U.S. And we found that there was more dust in Texas from Africa in July than from North America. And that kind of got me going on my dust odyssey. And a little more than 10 years ago, I started noticing dust plumes coming off the Great Salt Lake. And I'm well aware of other uh, terminal basin lakes in the world that have been drying up and the dust problems that they've been uh, associated with that. And so I knew it was an area that I could contribute to. So as I mentioned, you know, when you were out exploring those you know, almost 800 square miles of the Great Salt Lake, playa um, on your bicycle. Like, what, what was it like to be out there all by yourself? Very lonely, <laughs> introspective, uh, and absolutely magical. Um, I went out to the Great Salt Lake more than 150 times over that two-year period to you know, take soil samples and to learn more about the surface crust and the conditions out there. And I was really surprised that every single time I went out, I saw something new and different. And just the incredible variety of wildlife and uh, geological features and you know opportunities for recreation it just never ceased to amaze me that this was in our backyard and yet most people never explore it yeah well and, and just to stay with that a little bit I'm just curious like what what kind of observations did you take away like you know what, what did it feel like what did it sound like what did it smell like those kind of things so the Great Salt Lake is a very large area and every spot on the lake is very different. So when you get into the wetter areas, uh, you have a lot more wildlife and you hear the birds, you know, from the cacophony of the the sounds of the birds. uh, And you start to get into some interesting smells, you know, when you are in those wetland areas. 
the dry areas can be vast and lonely on some days, and some days you can have a cloud of bugs that just follow you around. Uh, and uh, it's just you know, a visceral experience. Uh, I've been out there, you know, when it was over a hundred degrees, you know, and I've been out there when it's below freezing, you know, just, and just the variety of the experience um, is pretty amazing. And then you get to different places, very unusual places that very few people get to visit. And you see some very magical things. For example, one day I was up on the Northern part of the lake and it had been a windstorm the day before. And I went out to the shore of the lake and there was foam everywhere five feet deep and it's just like i never expected to see foam coming off the great salt lake and you could just walk through it i didn't but you could have um and just you know crazy things like that yeah well i i know you've given a number of talks on on your research and, and your findings with regard to dust and and what what what's in the dust and and um the degree of risk or uncertainty about um health risks from from breathing it in um and i'm just wondering like what where, where, I guess, what did, what was your kind of main takeaways uh, from that, um, from the research you've done up until now, as far as uh, what we should be paying attention to with regard to the lake? So when it comes to dust from any source, regardless of whether it's from the lake or from activities that we have here in the city, uh, when the particle concentrations are high enough, they cause uh, inflammation of the lungs. And for certain people, that can actually cause respiratory distress. And it doesn't matter what the particles are made out of. It's just the concentration impacts their ability to breathe. And so the plumes coming off of the Great Salt Lake uh, are high enough in concentration at times to where they could cause respiratory distress and people downwind. And in addition to that, I also discovered that there were very high concentrations of certain metals in the dust that are carcinogens. Uh, the one that I'm most concerned about is arsenic. Every single measurement of the soil that I took around the Great Salt Lake had arsenic concentrations that were more than a factor of 10 higher than what would be recommended by the EPA for routine exposure. And long-term exposure to arsenic in the dust could theoretically lead to increases in the rate of lung cancer and skin cancer and bladder cancer. Hmm. Well, and I, I, I know you said that there's an ongoing need to, um, to keep researching this and, and, and understand the health risks. Um, wh what, where specifically uh, do you feel like uh, more ongoing research needs to happen? So we know that the dust comes off of the lake bed, but surprisingly, we don't know how often and how severe those storms actually are because we don't have a well-designed network that's specifically designed to measure the dust coming off the lake. So that's the basic fundamental question that we're trying to answer is how frequently are people exposed to the dust? And then once you find out how frequently people are exposed, then you have to do more detailed research on the metals that are in the dust to find out if they're bioavailable. Will they be absorbed by your body or are they locked up in minerals that uh, don't interact with your body and therefore don't pose a risk? So when it comes to these metals, including arsenic, I label them as contaminants of potential concern that we need to do more research on to figure out you know, what are the exposure levels that people are uh, experiencing and you know, what are the potential health outcomes of that. I see. And what kind of response have you gotten from your research? Um, I mean, do you feel like current public awareness or, or policy actions are happening um, in, in reaction to what 
you've learned? So when I finished my soil survey in 2018 and started writing up the results, I was really pessimistic about the future of the Great Salt Lake and the dust problems that would ensue because most people didn't even realize the Great Salt Lake was shrinking and fewer people still understood the potential economic or uh, ecological or health problems associated with that. So I decided to embark on a different kind of journey for a scientist, which was educational outreach and talking to the public. Uh, every venue that I could possibly get to, I volunteered to try and spread the word to increase people's level of understanding. And I wasn't the only scientist that was doing this. There was a small group of us. And within a few years, the, the change has been dramatic. Now, when I talk to people on the street, uh, they understand that the Great Salt Lake is shrinking. They understand that it poses risks to the residents of northern Utah, and they want to do something about it. And their collective voice has been heard by the state legislators. And there are several key legislators who have staked their political reputation on saving the Great Salt Lake, most notably uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Brad Wilson. Uh, and... The legislature over the last two years has made the most sweeping changes to water law in the last hundred years, trying to remove barriers that would prevent water from getting to the Great Salt Lake. And then they spent the last year trying to incentivize conservation so that we can actually end up putting more water back in the lake and save this uh, magical ecosystem. Yeah. Do you, do you think that we, um, at least within the scientific community or the atmospheric sciences community, those who study air pollution, uh, do you think we have a, just a better understanding of how air pollution um, operates or how it can impact human health more than we did, like, say, 20 years ago? So the science is moving forward at a slow pace because the interactions of uh, pollutants and the human body is exceedingly complicated. Uh, it uh, involves not only personal exposure, but gene expression from individuals, uh, pre-existing conditions, all of those things make it really difficult to study. But Utah is perhaps the best place in the world to actually study this. We have this wonderful uh, healthcare system that uh, keeps track of all of the health outcomes and make that available for researchers. So we can combine the air quality data with the health outcome data to try and look for correlations and see uh, what uh, the impact of these uh, pollutants might be on human health. But um, the public certainly has become much more aware of the linkages between air quality and health uh, over the last uh, 20 years, in part due to uh, other researchers and other scientists and other physicians that have taken it upon them to spread the word on those linkages. Mm. And is, with regarding the mitigating or efforts to or ideas to mitigate uh, dust pollution coming off the lake, what what are what would you say are probably the top uh, policy actions that perhaps we could take to, to do that? The best thing for understanding how we might mitigate the dust is to look at what other people have done in other regions around the world. And the poster child for this is Owens Dry Lake in California. Uh, Owens, Dry, Owens Lake was a, a freshwater lake uh, about one-tenth the size of Great Salt Lake a hundred years ago, and Los Angeles diverted all of the water for drinking in the city of Los Angeles, and the lake completely dried up uh, over a period of a decade. And it became the uh, largest dust source in North America. And 
started impacting people's health who lived downwind. And eventually, uh, the U.S. Envi uh, Environmental Protection Agency uh, put that area of California out of compliance for air quality uh, conditions, and the city of Los Angeles was forced to try and mitigate the dust. And they tried everything. Uh, they, they put up snow fences to slow the wind down. They went out with farm equipment to till the surface to make it rough. Uh, they put in berms and tried drip irrigation. They even crushed up gravel and covered you know, a few square miles of gravel. And they spent two and a half billion dollars with a B trying to mitigate the dust. And you know what they learned? The best way to mitigate the dust is to cover it up with water. And so what they've done now is they've gone out and they've leveled the, the lake bed and they now flood it with two or three inches of water to try and keep uh, the dust under control. And they've reduced the dust emissions by about 99.5% at great cost. And it's still one of the largest dust sources in North America, despite all of these efforts. So when it comes to the Great Salt Lake, which is 10 to 12 times bigger than Owens Lake, there is no dust mitigation technique that you could do that wouldn't cost $50 billion. Um, so what we have to do is we have to focus in on putting water back in the lake, which will have the other benefits of saving the ecosystem. Hmm. I see. Well, just, just a couple more questions for you. Um, and, and this one is more, I, I guess, a little more maybe perhaps introspective. But what... Um, what sort of impact, you, 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 if you look at your, your long career as an atmospheric scientist, uh, what sort of impact do you hope that your work will have on, on the world, on society at large? So one of the reasons I became an atmospheric scientist and specifically to study air quality is because I wanted to do something that actually matters, um, that can you know, protect people's health. And I've done a lot of smaller things along the way, which I think uh, have raised awareness about this issue. But if I look back and we're able to actually save the Great Salt Lake, and I played some small part in that, um, that would be really fulfilling, personally, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then uh, final, final question. Uh, when you're not doing research, what, what, what do you do? What do you do for fun? I absolutely love the Western U.S. Uh, I grew up in Kansas where there were no mountains at all. And so when I moved out west for the first time, uh, I was just mesmerized. And so any chance I get, uh, I'm out uh, hiking or, or skiing and, and uh, really enjoy the mountains. Um, I also uh, really enjoy the desert areas as well because they have equally interesting but different uh, you know, experiences that you can have in those regions as well. Yeah, great. Well, Dr. Kevin Perry, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Yeah. And thanks for tuning in to Talking Climate from the Wilkes Center for Climate Science and Policy at the University of Utah. We'll be recording and posting more interviews with researchers at the U who are engaged in the work of climate change science and policy. So if you want to hear more and or learn more about the Wilkes Center, go to wilkescenter.utah.edu. Thanks. <laughs>